afternoon and welcome to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. I'm program host Kip Allen. Let's Talk's a program for the Christian layman, the Lutheran who believes but has questions. In short, well, the program's designed exactly for someone like me. You know, there's a lot I don't understand. Not necessarily soul-shaking. It might just be something that's been on my mind for a while. But I find that rather than getting into a deep theological discussion, sometimes a casual front porch-style talk with a pastor is the best way to understanding. And that's what this program is all about. Today's guest who joins me on the front porch is Lance O'Donnell of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Oconomowoc. I pronounced it right, Wisconsin. Now, you can, uh, you've, I've got my questions. I'm sure you've got yours, and you can send the questions by email at any time to let's talk at kfuo.org or call into the program. If you're in the St. Louis area, that's area, or, excuse me, that's area code 314-821-0850. That includes Metro East. Or anywhere toll free in North America at 1 800 730 2727. Pastor O'Donnell, welcome to the front porch. Hello, how are you? Doing really good. And you know, I, I'm so excited about this March uh, for Life that's been going on in Washington. I was delighted to hear Michael Salamink's voice, Pastor Salamink, because um, he and I were same era at the seminary. And uh, I think his dad was a classmate of mine, actually. Um, so they were at SEM about the same time, which was really cool. It really was. And earlier, uh, and we had another couple of special reports. We had uh, one uh, with uh, uh, Pastor um, uh, Greg Seltz. You know, he used to be the uh, voice of the Lutheran Hours, now the uh. executive director of the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty in Washington, D.C., and also Sarah Golseth, who is the co-host of the Coffee Hour here at Worldwide KFUO, and also serves as our social media manager. And it is so exciting to see what's been going on. And the thing that really struck me about this thing was the joy of the voices that I was hearing here. And also, I've been watching it on uh, streaming online on a number of different channels. And again, it's the same thing. These people are smiling, they're singing, they're happy. I think they sense victory. Well, I, uh, I, I would be too. I'm, I'm jealous that I'm not. I've, it has been an ambition of mine to go to this march, and uh. I never have. Um, but... Now you're poked, now you're peaking my interest again. <laughs> well, I, I had never seen so many people, you know, on the, on the TV programs that I was watching that was showing the crowd. Uh, last couple of years, uh, a couple of marches because of the inclement weather and some other factors. Uh, the the march wasn't as heavily populated as prior ones had been, but uh, some of the people I was talking to said that they they believe this may be the largest ever march. Now, the largest that I am aware of was I think back. In 2015, and that was uh, that was clocked at something like six hundred fifty thousand people. Certainly more than this is certainly in the in the six figures. I was seeing on the on the news. I checked a little bit that the vice president showed up for a little yeah, while. Yeah, that's absolutely the case. He made a he made a surprise appearance uh, with Vice President Mike Pence and his wife Karen. And what they did was they introduced uh, uh, President Trump, who was on the big screen and addressing his support for the uh, march and for the marchers. And he promised the president promised that he will veto any legislation that comes to him that loosens abortion laws. How about that? It's it's an amazing thing. Now, President Trump has uh, certainly come down on the on the side of pro life. Uh, people I've spoken to, uh, I've been I'm going to say they're very pleasantly surprised, but he's certainly been one of the most uh, strong supporters we've ever had in Washington. Well, 
Well, that in, you know, his, um, you know, I mean, I'm not going to be partisan here, but uh, wasn't he the first presidential candidate to call, publicly call abortion evil? I believe he was. At the the third presidential debate last time? I believe that's the case. I believe that's the case. I mean, whatever, whatever issues you may have with the president, and certainly, you know, there are reason there are reasons to be if you are a supporter of life from conception mm-hmm. um, you know this this man this man has absolutely been helpful in that regard i don't think there's any question of that um, and you know we've as uh, as uh, pastor Salomon pointed out there is some important cases coming before the supreme court or may come i don't think i don't know if the supreme court has yet agreed to hear that indiana case but it's it's certainly vital if they do you know it's it's interesting because i i had i had kind of lost track of of that but you know i i didn't my wife and i miscarried uh my oh. wife miscarried six times oh wow i'm sorry to hear that and um and it was extraordinarily difficult you know and we be- we believe that you know that child from conception is a child and that those are human remains mm-hmm. and you know and we and I, you know we lived and i was in seminary at in fort wayne indiana and uh and we had we you know we, she had an early miscarriage you know before you know and we had to fight to receive the, rem- the re- to receive the remains. Really, we had absolutely. Now that may have changed since, you know, two thousand early two thousands or whatever. But we had to fight. We had to fight for those because we, you know, we wanted to give that that little baby a, bur- a burial, even though, you know, there was a because Carrie had to have, you know, he died in the womb. He was it was very early. They had to do a, a dilation and curatage mm-hmm. procedure. And, um, but, you know, we had to fight for the remains and we, you know, we asked for the remains to be sent out because it was so early we weren't able to tell yet, uh, whether boy or girl. And, you know, we found, we found out for the discussion earlier about the people in Iceland, we found out that we had a little boy and he had Down syndrome. Oh. Um, and... So, um, and we found, you know, that's when we, we found out that, it, at least if I recall rightly, that only about 10% of children conceived with Downs actually make it to term. And I'm, I'm not sure if that is totally medically, ac- medically accurate, but that's what I recall, which makes any child with Downs that you see walking around a miracle. Absolutely. Um, and... Most of my experience with, um, you know, with Downs kids is that they're just full of love, and they teach their families what love really is. I've known a number of uh, of children with Down syndrome and the parents, and you're absolutely correct. They're the most loving children I've ever seen. Yeah, I talked about this not too terribly long ago in a in a sermon. I forget whether we have or not, but I, you know, when I was Oh boy! When we were at the seminary, one of my seminary classmates, uh, a guy who's about five years younger than me, uh, their first—he and his wife, uh, their first child died just before she was supposed to be born. Mm. You know, almost almost full term. Um, 
a little girl named Hannah, and I think what ha the umbilical cord got wrapped around her neck or something like that. And um, and we buried and we buried her. We gave her Christian burial at Concordia Gardens uh, Cemetery in Fort Wayne. And you know we, there was a, a graveside service there. And her uncle had Down syndrome. Oh, right. So my my buddy, my seminary buddies, um, Nathan Sherrill, his brother Caleb, um, and uh, Caleb gay Caleb had what I still regard all these years later as the greatest expression of Christian grief that I have ever seen. And at that funeral, the, there was, you know, there's this tiny little grave dug for this tiny little casket in the infant section. Caleb had a, Caleb had a handful of crosses and, you know, little crosses in his hand. And, you know, he couldn't articulate it well, but it was clear to absolutely everybody that was there that 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 Caleb Sherrill confessed the resurrection of the dead, and he you know he tossed those crosses in the grave, and um, with this just immense expression of outpouring. But it was clear that he knew that his little niece was going to rise from the dead because Jesus had said so. It was it was an amazing thing. Hmm. Absolute belief. One, one thing I have been curious about, um, what is the church's position regarding a child who is lost through miscarriage or even through elective abortion? Uh, oftentimes, you know, there, there's no opportunity to baptize the remains. Right. So what, what yeah. is, what's the position that we, we take? We had six of those <laughs> in, in my family, um, and I'm not laughing to make light of it, um, you know, we, my wife and I went through this six times. Mm. Um, the, I'll tell you where I come at it. You know, okay. others will disagree or might, right? Um, yeah. I contend per Romans chapter 10, uh, verse 17, that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. You know, I, I contend that you have, you know, there, there's a mystery here, but that you have a living soul uh, from conception. And that that soul is able to hear the Word of God, and, you know, my, our, that that little, that little soul can hear the Word of God. And so our, our practice was from the moment we knew that there was a baby in, on the way, um, we, we sang and we prayed and we read. Um, we, you know, we would, and one of the children would put his, put his face by mommy's belly, you know, and we would, and we, when we sang our hymns at night. And so when, um, you know, when our, when our little ones perished, wherever they were along the way, um, we just simply rested on that that little soul had heard the word of God, and and we we placed our our faith in that promise. Uh, Lance, I think I mentioned to you. My wife is a nurse. Yeah, um, she used to work at an ER, and she had uh, she mentioned to me that one of the nurses there was was a devout Lutheran. Yeah, and uh, whenever there was a miscarriage, that nurse would make sure to baptize the remains. 
Yeah, and I don't. I mean, we we don't we we don't baptize the dead, <laughs> but um, you know, I'm not going to. Um, yeah. You know, I'm, not, I'm not, certainly not going to condemn condemn anybody uh, in that circumstance at all. No, certainly the certainly her action meant absolutely no rebellion. No, yeah, no. Yeah, yeah I I had the you know we our, the last the our, the last pregnancy because um, there were like I said there were six and there was an ectopic pregnancy that means there was a a, a, a child in the fallopian tube yeah. you know that is. You know that automatically those don't survive, so we That's lost. Life anyway, for the last mother. pregnancy, uh, my wife was about halfway along, mm. and um, you know those children now, even you know, will it, with the right medical care, will often survive. But um, so I had, uh, but our but our little boy uh, didn't, and. You know, I'll tell you if you want to talk about that. Uh, I'll tell you that story in a little bit. But yes, I did please a, do. I did a baptism a couple years ago for a member, a member of my parish. Uh, she went into labor real early, about halfway along, and their little baby, Hadley, uh, the little girl, somehow survived. Um, I baptized her with sterilized water, uh, with an eyedropper, um, in the neonatal intensive care unit, and. Uh, you know, she was the same size as my son who died. Mm. And it was um, one of the great honors of my life to be able to do that and for us to be at a position, you know, medically where we could save a child. Um, what, what a, you know, what an absolute joy that was for me. And today she's doing great. Um, she lost a couple toes, you know, and, you know, had a couple, has some other little issues, but she is plugging away and a joy to her family now. It's an amazing thing. It really is, you know. And and one of the one of the themes that came out in this uh, march uh, today was the increasing body of evidence that science is on our side on this. I, I'm I'm always amused, you know, where the uh, the secular has often said uh, their criticism of religious people is, well, you don't believe in science. Well, what happens when the science is on our side? Yeah. And it's increasingly there. I mean, the DNA is unique from the beginning. It shows it's a unique human being. Uh, the heart can would start beating as, as soon as four weeks before even the, the, the woman realizes she's pregnant. And the organs are formed very shortly thereafter. And you can see the fingers. You can see the eyes. You can see the toes. I just don't see how they can deny that. Yeah, well, there are a lot of re you know I'm I'm looking online right now, Kip, and I'm seeing a live feed from somewhere in the march. There's a sign that somebody has up that says "Men regret lost fatherhood." Yeah, and you know if you if you're game, I'd like to talk a little bit about that. Yes, please do. Um, you know, I would imagine that you have listeners, you know, male and female. Um, or that someone will listen in the future uh, to this and just are filled with uh, regret. And there are, you know, there are millions, and I'll speak to the men, and there are millions of men in this boat, in our country, and around the world. And um, we, 
we we should rem- you know for for any man who any man who hears this and has participated in some way in um, in the death of his own child that that Christ's forgiveness obtains for all right and for for men for men and women who have been in this boat I mean it, the the guilt can be absolutely overwhelming and, and enormous and despairing and you know I just would remind anybody who's hearing this that that Jesus Christ is Lord of all and he has risen from the dead and there is no sin too great for him and that even for that God forgives and um, and gives new life and I would encourage anyone who's struggling with uh, with guilt over an abortion or or if you're the man, uh, your part in that to, to seek out pastoral care and receive forgiveness, um, and and begin and begin to experience the joy of that forgiveness, and then right, and then go as Jesus says and and live a new life. That actually happened to a close friend of mine. Uh, she's she had an abortion when she was, I believe, nineteen, and uh, carried the guilt with her. Uh, really up and up through her 60s. Yep. And I remember she and I were talking about that and it was just when she when she suddenly realized that this was a it was a sin but it was a forgivable sin and she was truly repentant for what she had done. Sure. Yeah. I, I many, you know, many years ago I remember I had a conversation with a man. Um I will never ever 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 forget the look in his face. When, you know, he said to me, you know, I think about this now, and that was so-and-so's brother or so-and-so's sister. Um, and he was um, just so pro- profoundly remorseful at what he had let happen and even encouraged. And, you know, that, you know, that was, that was back in my anti-Christian days. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I didn't, right, I didn't have anything to say other than to just sit there, you know. Um, now I have a gift to give <laughs> in that circumstance, yeah. you know, which is to say that, you know, I know the God who forgives and that that guilt you share, that it can be wiped away. And, in fact, God can even, right, as that's, that's God's promise in Romans eight twenty eight, that, the, you know, Maybe through your repentance, God, some, God can work some good out of this. Maybe you can convince somebody else not to do what you did and to support something else. And, oh, yeah. And the Lord has a way of doing that. Well, I will, excuse me, I will uh, confess that at one time I was, pro, I was pro-choice, as we call it, pro-abortion, okay. really up through my adulthood. Yep. But the more I looked at the evidence, you just, just the hard evidence, the more I realized how horribly wrong I was. Yeah. And, you know, now I've got a, a forum where maybe I can convince other people. It, it's, it's kind of fun because I'm, I'm pretty active on social media about this as right. well. And I'm getting, <laughs> a lot of people don't like what I say. <laughs> yeah, well. But that's, that's tough. Jesus never promised us an easy road. No doubt. And, you know, there's, Life is so life is so precious, 
and so valuable, and the stories are so legion, right? I mean, I, I read, what, four or five years ago, or after, right after Steve Jobs died? Mm-hmm. Steve Jobs was no Christian. Um, the, but even he said, I'm so glad my mother didn't abort me. Yeah. Um, you know, and look, <laughs> you know, look what he did. Um, you know, how, how many, just millions of, of gifts that would have upholded, you know, got, uh, upheld God's creation in various different ways that, that we ended over the last, you know, how many years is it? Forty some years? Forty six years. Um, and there's been about 60 million in this country alone. Yeah. It's, um, man, that's, it's just an, it's just an astonishing, astonishing figure. Hard to fathom. I read an article today uh, where the person was saying that sometime in the future, we're going to look back on abortion with the same way we look back on slavery today. Well, I, I hope that's true. I mean, I certainly, I, cer- I certainly do myself. I mean, you know, I myself was one, at, one, at one time one of those, you know, a constitutional pro-choicer where I was, mm-hmm. I kind of said, well, it's your right, and then... You know, for lots of different reasons. Um, it, I just, one of the great regrets of my life that I caved on that. And, um, you know, I'm thankful for the opportunity now that I have in my position to support people. Um, you know, our, our chapel right now, we have, a, we have a wonderful little crisis pregnancy center that we operate in southeast Wisconsin here called the Place of Refuge. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, our, our chapel offerings at my school, St. Paul's Lutheran School in Oconomowoc, are, are going to support a place of refuge uh, this quarter, which I'm very excited about. Um, you know, kids are bringing in baby diapers and um, onesies and all this stuff, and we've, we, it's been an amazing ministry uh, over there for many years. Well, Lance, you've got to take a quick break here, but, boy, there's so much more to talk about on this, so... Let's keep the uh, let's keep the faith here. Keep it up, and we'll be talking some more in just a couple of minutes. This is Pastor Mark Azil, the LCMS Director of Campus Ministry and the Chancellor of LCMSU, inviting you to join us right here on Wednesdays at 2 p.m. in the Student Union. If you can't make it, Student Union is always available as a podcast at kfuo.org. Learn more about LCMSU at lcmsu.org. And remember, college is tough. You need Jesus. We'll help. Wednesday afternoon at 2 on KFUO. Hi, I'm Pastor Ted Lesh, pastor at Chapel of the Cross Lutheran Church in North St. Louis County, inviting you to listen to our KFUO radio worship broadcasts on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. Active worship, preaching, music, and singing are part of every one of our services at Chapel. Join us Sunday nights at 6. It's one more broadcast worship opportunity for you from your friends at Chapel of the Cross and KFUO Radio. 
Hi, I'm Pastor Mark Hawkinson, host of Moments of Assurance Worldwide KFUO. Coming up on the next Moments of Assurance weekend program, I'll share thoughts about Romans 8.28, where St. Paul writes, All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. You'll be helped as you tune in this weekend at 7.45 a.m. Central, Saturday and Sunday mornings. You're on Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. In a day when numerous concerns about money and safety abound in this fallen world, there is still a beacon of hope in Christ Jesus spreading the gospel message of mercy. Worldwide KFUO has been a good steward of donations, ensuring the safety of funds our listener-supported ministry receives. If you have questions about donating to keep this worldwide ministry healthy, send an email to gifts at kfuo.org. Amy Carmichael died on January 18, 1951. She was known for her Christian poetry, hundreds of poems, much of which were written to honor and edify the children of India. She was a Protestant missionary in India for more than five decades, rescuing thousands of girls and young women from forced prostitution. In 1901, she founded an orphanage and a mission, the Donover Fellowship, an organization helping children even today. Her poetry and writings were filled with biblical themes and references to remind herself of the motivation for serving others. Love, the truest, deepest kind of love, gives and goes on giving. And quoting Paul from Acts 20.35, she wrote, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Read the Bible. Engage in this book of all books. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. Welcome back to Let's Talk. The pastor's in. I'm program host Kip Allen. My guest pastor today is Lance O'Donnell. We are talking about life and the March for Life and what we can do to help it. I was really impressed with the story that you just told me, Lance, about the, uh, about the center that, you, that you're working with. Yeah. Yeah, let's let's talk about that a little bit more because there, there are so many of these centers now all over the country. Well, it's called Place of Refuge. It's in Milwaukee. Um, it provides, you know, it uh, provides care for women who um, want to keep their baby and and yet are in difficult circumstances. And so, it's uh, a place of refuge. dot org is the website and. Um, my uh, so yeah, my you know pastoral colleague here, David Poppy, is on the board. Um, there's a new direct new director there, but they they provide a place that there have been you know we've had a, a, a good pile of baptisms that have occurred because of this ministry. But they they help women stay on their feet and provide a, a safe place for them with support for them to deliver their babies um, healthily and. And 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 they and they hear the message of the forgiveness and good news of Christ, and that's resulted in a number of baptisms over the years. Well, the uh, the, the centers, to my knowledge, uh, they, they accept anyone, uh, even though the ones the ones that are faith based, they're open to anyone, any woman who who needs them. I would imagine that that is true. Um, you know, certainly, uh, certainly in our case, uh, in place of refuge, my understanding that it is. So. Um, any you know any any woman that's looking to that, that needs help 
needs a place to, to live and is in some danger or what have you. Um, it's not a it's not a domestic violence shelter, but it is a you know if if you need help and you're pregnant and you don't have any other place to go, uh, this a place of refuge is a uh, is a home for precisely that type of woman. What does the Bible say about women who are pregnant and about society's and men's responsibility to them? <laughs> well, how about the story of the that we just celebrated <laughs> good one <laughs> right, right i mean without without a doubt it's one um the story of joseph the stepfather of our lord jesus is is a remarkable one isn't it oh yes absolutely i mean because right i, I mean if you in this story gets told right over and over again and, and it should right so you know imagine your you know your your you're betrothed and you've done the right thing and kept your hands off her, right? Mm -hmm. And she shows up and says, um, God spoke to me and I'm pregnant with the Savior of the world. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> um, you know, and, you know and, and under Jewish law at the time, you know, he had the authority not only to divorce her, but you know, she would just have been assumed to be an adulteress. And could have been stoned to death. And, and, you know, and then, of course, the angel appears to Joseph and says, Joseph, you know, that child conceived is from the Holy Spirit. Um, take her as your wife and give him the name Jesus, which means the Lord saves, because he's going to save his people from his sins. And so, and Joseph took, you know, took that responsibility up, knowing, I'm trying to think of the passage later in the New Testament, the reference is lost on me, where um, it, it seems to be a so, you know, I, we, we were not born of iniquity. It seems to be a reference to, that Jesus was thought of to be a, a, a bastard son. Mm -hmm. um, you know, sorry if I can't use that word on the radio. But that's <laughs> well, we just word. used it. It's cool. <laughs> um, and, but, jo but, Joseph, uh, but Joseph takes Jesus and Mary and protects them and serves them and gives his life to them. And that's what a man is called to do. And the next time we see uh, Joseph, really, well, um, of course, there was the flight to Egypt and what have you, but was uh, when Jesus was uh, 12 and they, they, they ventured back to Jerusalem. Right. And, and that shows, again, a, that Joseph was taking very seriously his parental responsibility. No doubt. Very, ser very seriously. And, and, and of course, uh, they freak out. When they can't find him, I mean, it, you know, the, it 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 would make a good Saturday Night Live skit. Yeah. Uh, you know, oh my goodness, I've lost the Son of God. Um, <laughs> you know, you could picture Dana Carvey as the you know playing this back when he played the church lady. Oh yeah. Thing, you know, doing something, but you know, can you? Even, I, it's hard even to fathom, right? After all that had happened, and then and two days go by, and you don't know where the Messiah is, uh, who you're supposed to protect. And, you know, of course, as you, as you mentioned, they found him, and he's in the temple, and he says to them, um, didn't you know I should be in my father's house? And, and, then, and then, of course, it says, he was obedient to them and went with them, hmm. referring to Jesus, of course. 
And, uh, of course, we know that Jesus was trained as a carpenter, so we know that Joseph gave him those skills, the uh, manual skills to do what what he needed to do to provide for himself and for his mother until uh, he started his... his, uh, his uh, uh, his his message. I, I wish the Bible had mentioned what happened to Joseph. I've often been curious about that. You know, it is interesting, and it's obviously not there for a reason. I mean, but it, you know, there, enough enough is there for us to have what we need. Is that this man gave everything he had uh, to protect his wife and child, and. Um, and you know that's whatever whatever else happened. That's what he did, and that's what a you know a good biblical man does. You know he supports his, he supports his family, right? And he he does whatever is necessary to protect and to provide provide for them. And again, you know, when they, for example, when they fled to Egypt, that certainly would have been a very dangerous undertaking. But I'm sure you know he did that. He he. And, and does and does so in faith, and um, you know. But whatever whatever may come, this is you know this he this he does. It, he's a Joseph is an absolutely fabulous you know appropriately named um, after the after the you know the the Old Testament Joseph. Mm-hmm. Um, but he is an absolutely fantastic example of of faithfulness. You know, come what may. You know, all right. Well, thy will be done, Lord. She, you know, this isn't my child, but you've called me to be father to this child, and so I shall. You know, I, I just, I know so, I know, I know so many men uh, who, you know, who married a woman with a son, or, you know, and who adopted that, you know, who adopted that son, and, you know, attempt raised him. Uh, or her is a daughter as as his own, and treated them no different. That's mm-hmm. um, that's a that's a great it's a great faithful example. Maybe we can look at same you know adoption agencies. I mean, you have first you have firsthand experience with adoption. Yes, we do. And great. those are your children. You are their father. I am, um, and it's a it it's a there's yeah we have a little as I. We have a little boy that we adopted from Guatemala when he was an infant, and and he is certainly an O'Donnell. Um, <laughs> you know, oops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it's right. It's uh, you know, it's great, and it's it's an interesting case study. He is on nature and nurture. Um, you know, because he is, you know, I mean, he he's 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 darker than the rest of us. Um, you know, because he's a full-blooded Mayan Indian. I mean, even when he was three years old, and my wife is, God bless her, is pretty pasty white. Um, <laughs> you know, beautiful woman, but she's a, you know she's a pretty white girl. And when he was a little boy, he says to her, "You know, mommy, um, you know, my skin is really kind of chocolatey, and yours is very white." <laughs> you know, um, but. He snuggles, you know. He still loves loves to snuggle his mom. You know, it's uh, that that journey to adoption was an absolutely glorious thing for us. And you know, after the death of that of the little baby, uh, one of the ways in which God showed our family how somehow He works all things together for the good of those who love Him. 
Could you describe that a little bit about how you and your wife decided to go the adoption route? Uh, sure. Um, we, so, uh, Carrie, we lost, uh, so the little, you know, we lost a little boy, um, that he died. And I, I wrote a, I wrote an article about this in Fort Wayne Seminary's magazine, um, several years ago, um, it's called. It's in the magazine called "For the Life of the World." But you know, so what happened is, I guess we, my wife was pregnant. She was having some really terrible pains. They couldn't figure out totally what was going on with her, because some of the scans that they would normally do, they would they couldn't do because she was pregnant. And so she's in the hospital and experiencing really bad pain, and her, and in fact, her systems are starting to shut down. Oh dear. And so, you know, at the time, the matriarch of my congregation that I was serving in Ohio was dying. And so, you know, Carrie had kind of been in and out of the hospital. So I was off visiting this this matriarch of my congregation who was dying, and then I get a phone call from my wife that said, Lance, you need to come here now. And so uh, we we drove to the hospital in Fort Wayne. Um, I walked in the door, and the doctor said... I'll never forget. Um, he said, uh, "Your wife is dying. The most of the amniotic sac has escaped. Um, we're not going to be able to save the uh, the baby, uh, but we might be able to save your wife." Oh boy! And so he he said, "You know." So I had I had to right. He said I had to make the decision to induce labor, knowing that the baby would not survive, uh, and that, but that we would have the chance to save Carrie. Okay. Um, it was, I you know I had been suicidal, you know years before. I you know we you and I have talked about that. Mm-hmm. You know, I had experienced a very dark day, um, but that, um, even though we knew the boy wasn't gonna wasn't gonna survive, that was the worst day of my life. Oh, it had to have been to make, horrible to have to make that decision. And um, so we asked. That, you know, at the time we didn't know whether we had a boy or a girl, and and so you know they did the scan and said you got a little boy, so we could give him a name. And so they induced the labor, and we put the fetal monitor on. And, and our hope, um, our hope, Kip, was that Carrie would be able to deliver the little boy alive, that I would be able to baptize him, and then that he would die in my arms. And um, unfortunately, uh, we listened over the le- over the next couple hours to his little heartbeat uh, fade away. Oh dear! And so he didn't uh, he didn't make it to live birth that must have been horrible for carrie as well i will never ever forget so so she delivers um so you know you ask the question how did we end up adopting she delivers this little dead baby um he looked just like his older brother um and carrie said to me she said lance it's not going to end like this um, I had no idea what that meant at the time. Um, so, 
you know, some months, some months later, uh, Carrie started talking about adoption. And I said, oh, no, we can't, you know, we can't afford to do that. I just took out, you know, I had, I had put us, what, thirty or $40,000 in debt because I wanted to do my doctoral degree, right? And I said, oh, no, we, you know, we can't do this. And she said, no, this is what I think we need to do. And I said, no. <laughs> you know, and we started, you know, we started praying. We had, you know, three other children yeah. started praying. And, and so finally I relented, you know, because I, I was reluctant to go further into debt, right? But I relented and I said, okay, but if, if we're going to do this, then the Lord is just is going to have to provide um, the resources to make this adoption happen. And she said, okay, the Lord's going to make that happen. And I went, yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> you know? Never second-guessed your wife, never second-guessed God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you know, and, and so, you know, we have, and we have three little children, and so every, every morning, as we, say our, as we say our prayers, as the day begins, part of the prayer was, you know, Lord, if it be your will, provide us the resources and help us to have a baby brother. Um, and so we, um, we, we, we weren't, we weren't going to be able to adopt, um, you know, we wanted to adopt an infant and because we already had three children, the likelihood of getting an infant through some other domestic process was highly unlikely. Mm-hmm. We decided to adopt internationally. The cost of my of an international adoption at the time was the equivalent of my entire year's salary. Oh boy. And so here's what happened, right? This is, you know, so this is, right. It was an amazing thing. Um, so the, the very first thing we had to do as with adoptions, we had to take a class on, on how to be parents. <laughs> Even though you have three. Already, we already have three kids who are pretty healthy and doing otherwise, but we have to take a, cra- a class and, um, and there's a and there's a home study that has to be done, so we have to post escape routes and all that in our house. And so it was like the cost was between the class and the home study, it was I think eleven hundred and ninety six dollars or something like that. And so we live in this little town out in the middle of nowhere in northwest Ohio, and but the you know the people of the congregation rallied and they gave us stuff. We had a garage sale. We were hoping to raise, if possible, half of what we needed to pay for the home study. Mm-hmm. And it was Labor Day weekend or something like that. Right? And every, you know, we had been, for months, we, again, we've been praying, Lord, if provide the resources. And at the end of the weekend, you know, my wife, you know, the, all these people had helped. We, we, yeah. we, counted, up the, we counted up the till. Right, we, we we had prayed that we could have at least have four children, um, and we needed eleven hundred and ninety six dollars. We thought maybe we'd get half at a at the garage sale. At the end of the weekend, Carrie counted up what we'd made. Twelve hundred dollars. <laughs> Every dollar that we needed for the home study, plus one for each child. Oh wow! And I and I broke down and wept. And I said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And honest to God, Kip, uh, we brought that boy home, and I took out not a cent of debt 
except to pay for the trip to go pick him up. Oh, for Pete's sakes. Um, it was a lesson for me and for my children um, that we will never forget. And here we have this beautiful little boy um, and who I'm watching right now hop out, out of the window in my office, get into the car, and his sister is taking him home from school. Um, <laughs> <laughs> literally as we speak. How did, how did your other children react to the, to the news that you're going to adopt? Oh, they were just over the moon excited. You know, they were they were so they were so they were so happy. Especially, you know, the older the older two, you know, they remember that they remember that funeral. I mean, we didn't we you know, I learned from my friend Nathan Sherrill's funeral. We did we didn't hide the, the death from our children, you know, nor did we hide our grief from them. We were we were all sad together. And so, you know, they knew what a loss it was when our little Neil died. And so, you know, they, they, you know, they were there at the funeral. They saw, they saw that little casket go in the ground. They, you know, they helped us scoop dirt on the grave. Um, they heard the promises of God. They were there every morning as we prayed. Um, and, and they were there when we went to Guatemala and they saw their baby brother, and the, you know, um, and brought him home. It was it was an amazing thing. That's a beautiful story, Lance. Thank you. It, I'm very thankful for it. <laughs> very thankful for it. Yeah, God uh, has a habit of turning tragedy into beauty. He does, doesn't he? You know that, and that's you know in this is you know if I may to get us back to the the march to life. Sure. All, it's all related. You know, for for any of your for any of our listeners out there who, you know, who have participated in some way in this culture of death, um, that there is forgiveness and there is life, and um, you know, sometimes when you're in the midst of the the pit in the darkness, it's hard to see, mm. but um, you know, but God is God is a God of second chances and hope and a God of resurrection, and um, and and that's that's true. For for every single one of us, and we are, um, we are not doomed to be uh, the product of what we have done. You know, God, God is, God can redeem and, and make all things new. You know, there's a um, um, a photo I've just seen uh, making the rounds on the internet. Uh, and it's of a, a new father, big burly guy, tattoos on his arms, and he is on his knees in the infant center of the hospital praying over his new child. Yep. Wow, that's a powerful statement. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Well, you know, that's that's what life's about. It is a gift from God, and. Uh, like many gifts, there are responsibilities that go with it. Um, my late wife uh, was pregnant one time, and she miscarried. Right. Uh, we never had another. So. Do you remember that? Oh yeah, vividly, vividly. I, I, I'll, I'll bet. You now, did you think at the time that that would be it? Did you know that that was going to be it? That that uh, there was a miscarriage. You mean? Yeah. That there was oh yeah. You know, I was aware of that. Um, she she uh, started hemorrhaging quite heavily, and uh, 
took her into the hospital, and uh, they, they they said up front, yeah, she's losing the baby. So did you know after that that the pregnancy was not going to be possible anymore? No, I didn't. Oh. Uh, I assumed not. Uh, let me let me rephrase that. Sure. I assumed not. She had some. She had did have some health issues related to that. As I said, she hemorrhaged very badly, and her uterus was damaged. Um, and so uh, you sus- you suspected that that might be it. Yeah, it could be. Right. So I suspected it. I suspected it. Yeah. That's a that is that realization is the disappointment is hard to describe. I had such mixed feelings. Yeah. I really was so confused over it. You know, um it you know, it, it's 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 interesting, <laughs> you know, even all these all these years later, but um you know, I have uh you know, I have close r- relatives and friends you know, who have tried to conceive and haven't been able. And it is incredibly difficult on a marriage. Uh, I, you know, and I've seen marriages break up over it. And it's, influ- it's influenced my pastoral care uh, for premarital couples. So, when I, you know, we do, we do some pretty intense premarital counseling. Mm-hmm. And part of that is, you know, we talk about um, family life, right? Sexual life, family life. Yep. And I always, I always counsel the couples that, um, that I'm preparing for marriage is to, pre- especially the husband, is to pray and be, and be prepared. Don't simply expect that this is going to happen and that it's going to be easy. Um, you're going to need to be prepared as a husband to be there for your wife um, because if you want, you know, if you want to have a baby and for some reason you can't, it can be devastating. And, you know, I, I tell the men, I need, you know, you need to be prepared to help her yeah. and to be there, be by her side if that happens. And in a case like yours where, or, or mine for that matter, where she wasn't able to come to term. Right. Yep. I mean, you know, I, you know, admittedly, you know, even though I'm, you know, a practicing Christian, I was at the seminary when my wife miscarried the first time, mm-hmm. you know, I handled it like a complete idiot. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, I was a fool. Um, you know, <laughs> we're probably running out of time. We can talk about that another time. Yeah, yeah we got about, uh, about 15 seconds left. <laughs> so. but, but, you know, the Lord provided me an opportunity to be with her in grief. And and I was thankful I finally got my blockheaded way out and was was a husband to her. And now you're there with joy, and you've got a new son. Indeed, Lance. Thank you so much for the conversation. As usual, it was fun, and I've learned a lot. Bless you. Thank you. Listening to The Pastor Is In, a weekly chance to chat with the pastor. Your support is vital for this program to continue. 
To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314-996-1518. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting. The pastor is in on Worldwide KFUO.